0: Mm-hmm. Ah.
1: Oh. well we're all gonna have these last times you know like my wife right now is out of town she's on a trip with her dad they're going to Israel because he's never been to Israel before he's Jewish and he's never been to Israel before and the reason they're going now is because he's getting really old and like his health is starting to fail and so this is kind of the last chance that they have for him to travel and like you know, he's in his 70s. I'm in my 40s. So obviously a huge difference there. But I have been thinking about that, especially like being in like I'm in my mid 40s now. I'm not like I can't fake it. Like I'm not in my early 40s. <laughs> like I'm in my, my mid 40s now. <laughs> and so like I think about that a lot, you know, like. Is this going to be the last time? And then you get in this like mind fuck, right? Because you're like, no, it's not. I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go do it right now. <laughs> I'm going to go walk around the reservoir right now, you know, and it's like, um, it doesn't really, I mean, it counts, but it doesn't really count.
0: (laughs) Podcast Junkies, episode 85. That's a nice number. And if you're new to the show, then what we've been doing for the past 84 episodes is, give or take, having amazing, not give or take because of the guests, but give or take because they haven't all been interviews. But regardless, we've been having fantastic engaging conversations with some of the most amazing, cool, funny, intelligent, uh, personable podcasters that I've come across and that I've wanted to introduce to you. And it's just something that I really enjoy doing and when I have conversations week in and week out that are so energizing, I can't help gushing over my guests. This week is no different but before I get there, did you catch the one I had last week with my boy AJ Mirzad? He's a coach. He coaches uh, an online coach on. He coaches folks on how to um, get their business started. And uh, we're in a uh, actually a mastermind together. Um, we both have, we both work with a, a guy named Taki Moore, and I that's where I met him. And he's just down to earth, and uh, we've got that East Coast vibe going. And that really came across through the interview. We spoke for an hour plus, and the energy level was really, really, really high. Uh, So much so that I I even mentioned it on the show. So if you want to supercharge your day, then go check out episode 84. This week, I go back into live mode because um, I'm trying to put myself... And let's see. I'm trying to put myself outside of my comfort zone because I want to do things that are a bit different. And as a podcaster, you want to make sure your podcast never gets stale. And you are trying things like, you know, inter- recording interviews live or talking to guests from a genre that you never talked to or um, having experimenting with the length of the podcast, you know, things like that. And, it's my show and I want to keep it, um, keep it energizing and keep it engaging for myself because I think when I do that, that translates well through the microphone into your earbuds and the passion comes through. And so I, this week I'm talking to, uh, Ben Adair from the first time, last time podcast, which is a fantastic, um, podcast. It's got a, a couple of ep- episodes, I think we're up to about six or seven. I may have that wrong, but uh, I think uh, I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes and you can check for yourself. We met at a podcast meetup here in Silver Lake, which is a neighborhood in Los Angeles. Uh, Silver Lake is like the the Williamsburg of Los Angeles. So if you're familiar with New York City and the hipsters in Williamsburg, it's kind of like that. A lot of cool bars and stuff like that. So um what was interesting about this meetup is that there was a lot of folks from the radio world there, and you know uh, I, I met some interesting people like uh, Ibarrio uh, Nex Perejo, who was uh, a guest a couple of episodes ago. I'm looking back here at my calendar. He, he was 81, and uh, that was a really really good episode, masterclass in in interviewing. And so uh, Ben was the host of the of the meetup. And uh, I thought it was just great that he was bringing all these folks together, especially so close to my home, which was an added plus. And as I started to listening to the show, it was clear he was passionate about the the quality of the show and the degree to which he was having meaningful conversations, which was another plus for me. So I quickly uh, reached out to him, he said yes, and given that we are in the same vicinity, uh, I thought it made sense for us to uh, head on over to the local bar, um, which is called The Black Cat, and have a beer and record a podcast. So there's a lot of ambient noise, and uh, hopefully in the editing, because I'm recording this intro straight after, or relatively speaking, straight after our interview today, and uh, hopefully the I can get the audio um presentable. I, for the most part, it should sound good, but you'll definitely hear the background noise, the clinking of glasses. Uh, there was a scream at some point, so listen out for that. And uh, yeah, I, I think I, I like the ambient noise effect. And um, I had a really good conversation with Ben. As an interviewer, it's interesting when you're doing an interview live, uh, you don't have the luxury of staring at your notes as you're talking through like I typically do. And so, it, it 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 makes you focus on your your guest and it makes you pay even closer attention maybe that not that you normally wouldn't but I think when the person is in front of you there's this other aspect of making sure you connect and you and especially when they're speaking on a subject on, on a topic uh, that's near and dear to them or it's of a sensitive nature um, as a result of a question you've asked so you definitely want to you know double down on your engagement and make sure you don't lose them and, and have them feel like you're not paying attention especially if you've asked them to be on your show it's really really important um, in my eyes so i uh, hope you enjoyed the, the interview and listen out for um, some uh, some information from our sponsor which is fancy hands which is a uh, online concierge service i'll give you all the details at the end of the show and i'll also give you the uh, retention hashtag, which regular listeners will know is the hashtag that I give uh, at the end of an interview just to see if you were paying attention and you made it all the way to the end. So uh, without further, further ado, enjoy my conversation with Ben Adair. So we are recording. Oh, great. And uh, this is going to be another uh, podcast junkies experiment. We are live at the Black Cat in Silver Lake, California, because this is an international podcast. You know, you have to tell people.
1: All oh, right, Of course. <laughs> of course.
0: And I'm here with uh, Ben Adair of uh, First Last Podcast. First and, time, last time. First time, last time. And, uh, and we met at a, a live podcasting event that uh, Ben was putting together, and there's another one coming up, so I'm excited whenever there's a local gathering of podcasters in the community, and I always jump at the chance to interview and talk to people about podcasting, and uh, I heard a couple of episodes, and I I definitely figured out that I wanted to talk to Ben, so welcome to Podcast Junkies.
1: Thank you, Harry. It's really awesome of you to invite me to be on your show.
0: So, what's interesting, Ben, is that you have uh, a lot of history, or a lot of... Uh, you've been in here in this neighborhood and in California for some time now. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, how being in, in in California and specifically in Silver Lake, because I hear you mention it a lot in your, you know, you, you touch upon it a lot in your, in your episodes about how much of an impact it's had on you. And I'm wondering if you could, we could start by talking a little bit about how much, or how how much... California lifestyle, or specifically this neighborhood, has had an impact in your life. It's more, um,
1: it's more Los Angeles as a whole. I mean, for me, Los Angeles is always. I mean, I've, I've lived here since 1990. So I, I grew up in Chicago, and then I moved here for college when I was 18 um, in 1990, and. Uh, I don't know how many of your listeners were in L.A. in the early 90s, but it was a really, really hard time to be in Los Angeles. There were the, the riots in 92, the earthquake in 94, and in between was just a crazy fire season. And then El Nino, where the whole city flooded, it was just, you know, it was on the backdrop of, like, a terrible recession, you know, of the early Clinton years, end of the Bush years, early Clinton years. It was just a really, really hard time for the city. And that was where I was sort of coming of age. And it was where I was learning to be a journalist. So, you know, there were so many great stories and so many terrible stories. But to be a journalist here at that time was a really, really great experience. And it really opened up the city for me in a lot of ways. And, you know, being one of the reasons I became a reporter was because I'm, I'm sort of like naturally curious and nosy. And I like going places where I'm not allowed. Like if anybody says, hey, you're not supposed to be there, then I'm like, screw you I'm going in <laughs> you know that's always been my nature uh, and so being a reporter kind of gives you the ability to do that and so I was able to kind of go all over the city and meet all sorts of interesting people and and do stories about them and do stories about a whole bunch of different things and And so, for me, being an Angelino has shaped my identity, but not in a way that most people think about Los Angeles. Like, to me, this is a city of secrets, and it's a city of imagination, and it's a city where anything that you can think of is here, but it's super, super hard to find. Like, you always need someone to show you where it is. But once you find that right guide, you know, you get entry into all these secret worlds. And that's always been what's guided me. And that's what I've, you know, the other part of being a a reporter, being a journalist is like showing people, showing people those things. And so that's something that I've always loved doing as well.
0: So you mentioned um, the dangerous aspects of being a a journalist. I was wondering if if a particular incident comes to mind in in your career as a journalist. A dangerous time? Yeah. Um, There aren't...
1: I don't know. I don't know how how endangered I felt. I mean, certainly I've gone to I've reported internationally and I've gone to like war torn countries. There are no other where there's been actual fighting. Like I've I've never been a war correspondent, Um, but I've gone places where there's like really crazy poverty or where people eye Americans suspiciously or just eye white people or or rich people, you know, with suspicion and as targets. Uh, there have only been a few times where I really felt like my life was in danger. Like for me, it's more like just going places where you're not supposed to go for whatever reason, like like not necessarily security reasons, but like, oh, it's not your culture. or Oh, it's not it's not your crowd or oh, this is, you know, off the beaten path or there's something amazing. There's something amazing happening here, but it's not for you. You know, these have been these have always been the places that are really interesting to me or or it's just people doing something interesting that nobody knows about, you know, finding out about that and and going and, and telling everybody about it because it's so amazing. Like there was a story that I did, um, I think it was in 2002 or 2003, where I had found out through a guy in L.A. who, who ran a record label that did kind of like weird roots music. Right. And I found out about this party that happens every year on this guy's farm in Mississippi. And it was just like the middle of nowhere in Mississippi, where these, this guy would have this party every year. And whoever was around, like all the great blues masters, you know, people from as far away as, as Nashville and Memphis would come and just kind of set up in this guy's backyard and play. I needed it every year. And it was just this amazing, amazing scene that this guy just kind of mentioned offhand in a conversation. I was like, oh, I want to do a story about that, <laughs> you know? And so I went and I continued to go for it a number of years. I took, took my girlfriend at the time, who's is now my wife. Like we went for a couple of years. So it was just a, like, you know, awesome stuff like that. Like not stuff that's like, it's dangerous. Like I didn't feel endangered there, but like it was definitely like some place that I wouldn't have known about that I'm not, you know, quote unquote supposed to go, but it was awesome once I was there.
0: Um, if you hear us periodically taking breaks, it's because we're drinking our beer. So this is—I think this is the first episode where we're with with beers in hand. <laughs> so it's another podcast junkies first. Um, I'm wondering where this innate curiosity. Uh, what's your earliest recollection of being curious? Because I'm the same way. I'm—I I'm, was the type of person when, just a simple example, like when my. When my parents would bring home like the the furniture from like the furniture store and it'd be in a box, I'd be like the one taking everything apart and laying the paperwork on the on the ground and figuring out where all the pieces go. And you know, it just I felt like I, maybe for lack of a better term, I called it curiosity. But I'm wondering if you have an early recollection of of being curious growing up.
1: Hmm. I mean, I was always really nosy. Like I was, I've always been a gossip. <laughs> and I think like there's part of being a reporter that's kind of that, you know, or. A uh, part of curiosity that is nosiness. Um, it's funny when you were talking. I was thinking about how, like, me and my brother and my sister, we used to pore over the uh, the Sears Christmas catalog every year and just like wonder what that stuff was. So, I mean, I remember being really curious about whatever presents I would get for Christmas. I mean, part of it too. I'm a twin, and so part of it, I wonder. Just like I'm totally thinking in real time, I wonder um, how much of it has to do with like differentiating myself from my brother at an early age, you know, I don't know
0: how, how different were your personalities?
1: Um, so, uh, very similar growing up until adolescence and, um, adolescence we really kind of like went in different directions. Um, and then for college, like I came out here to LA and he went to New York.
0: Mm. <laughs> so, o- opposite ends of the yeah, country. total
1: opposite from Chicago, which was like right in the middle, you know? Um, um, but now he came out to the West Coast maybe 15 years ago and has okay. been out here since. Now he stays at my place all the time. We're not like yeah,
0: we get along great. <laughs> and uh, what 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 was what was the point of divergence for you two, like where you realized that you're you guys although being twins you you are living diff- very different lives? Oh, it was just that like it was you know, I mean it was high school
1: so and we were growing up in Evanston, Illinois, which is a, you know, Uh, fairly well-to-do suburb of Chicago, you know, so there's some good uh, diversity there, but we weren't... We were living in a a fairly, like, upper-middle-class life, so the divergence was not by any... You know, if someone were to look at both of our lives and say, you know, look at them, they would appear to be very, very similar, but we were just, like, with different crowds and doing different things.
0: So... um so when you started when you when you started the the podcast um how immersed were you in in the in the podcasting world at that time?
1: So my career has been mostly in public radio. Yeah. So I've done a lot of um different things um as a reporter, as a producer, as a showrunner uh in public radio. And uh you know in the last 5 years more and more people have been wanting to start podcasts and so I was working at Marketplace, uh, the business radio show, as a senior editor um, until 2012. And I also have a background in tech. So in 2012, I left Marketplace to start a tech company. Um, and I've I've worked with I've run my own startups and I've worked with different startups doing different things, um, so all sort of mobile technology based. Um, so. This is sort of a long way of answering a question. So one of the reasons I started my podcast was because I wanted to try it out and see what was different about making a podcast as opposed to making, like, a public radio show. Uh, and I didn't think it would be nearly as, as different as it is. Like, it's very, it turns out the experience is very, very different. Like, the biggest difference, I think, is with the public radio show, you have a clock. Right? You have a specific time frame, specific lengths, time lengths of segments that so you have to make sure everything conforms to. And so that, that uh, lays down a skeleton or a framework for everything that you're doing. Right? And with podcasting, obviously, you don't have that. So it's really up to you to be disciplined and to figure out how long your show is supposed to be, how long your story is supposed to be. You don't have anyone else saying, oh, no, this needs to be seven minutes. Right and so that is really freeing in some ways when you're doing a storytelling podcast like first time last time um, but in, uh, in other ways it makes it much more difficult because because you don't have you don't have a set length you don't know how long is too long you really have to listen to the story and you have to be almost more rigorous I think with with your storytelling than you do if you're doing a public radio show
0: is that because you have to be your own um, you know, you have to be your own producer, your own showrunner, your own editor. Well,
1: there's that, yeah. There's that part of it that you're doing a lot of it yourself. I mean, I certainly have people help me, like uh, you know, listen to my shows and give me feedback and stuff like that. Um, so that's that's part of it. Um, but it's also just that you don't have. There's no there's no externalized structure that's being forced upon you. So you have to kind of make it up as you go. You know, uh, and for for a story for a storytelling podcast like mine. Like I need to make sure that every minute is super interesting and really immersive and drawing you in, because if someone clicks away, then they're never going to listen to it again. You know, it's not like on the radio where you know when you're listening to the radio, you'll like sit through a boring story because you know it'll be over in a few minutes and the next one will come up. So I think you have to be more rigorous. You have to be more um, more disciplined almost in your storytelling.
0: I think what's interesting is this new wave of podcasters who have come in without the radio background, but who really just have a desire to either teach on the mic or entertain, you know, for these comedians that are coming on, or, you know, they, they have something they're specifically passionate about, like, you know, indie comic books. I, there's, a, there's a friend that does under the comic covers. It's, it's just purely indie comics. And so, I think what we've seen with podcasting is that you can now go as really, really narrow as you want, and eventually, like people will find out your find your show out, and it gives you this interesting platform where you can you may not necessarily be looking for thousands of listeners, but you just want to be able to get on the microphone every week and you know talk extemporaneously about uh, you know. A topic that's of interest to you and, a, and your small group of friends. And I'm wondering, as you've seen these sort of worlds mesh, you know, what, what has been most interesting for you to see that's different from what you saw in the radio world?
1: I mean, I, so there are two things that I really love about podcasting. Like, number one is exactly what you're talking about. Like, there are no set rules about how you do anything. Like, public radio does everything in a very specific way, right? Um, but for, like, a podcast like like yours, like this one that we're talking on right now, like, you just sort of like put this on, you, you do the interview, you don't edit it, you put it up on, on, and it's an hour or something. You know, some episodes I think are close to two hours long. And in public radio, it's like, we, you would take that two-hour two interview and you would like cut it down to like five minutes or four minutes, right? Just to get like the absolute essence of it or something like that. And, and you would never, ever think of just putting tape... On. But if people like it, then awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's fantastic. And I think, like, it's been really interesting to me just to see how different people approach it, sort of the different formats that people come up with, you know, people's personalities really coming out and changing and, and really determining what a podcast's all about. All that is just, like, so interesting to me. And, like, you know, my, my background being in public radio, like, I don't really have, like, this is all new to me. Right. Doing it this way. So that's been super interesting. It's been really, really interesting. The other part that's the other sort of second part that's super interesting to me is like the business side of it. Like there's so many different business models for podcasting and everybody's trying different things. And there's this real like freedom to figure out your business model as you go. And there's so many different ways of doing it. Like advertising is the one that everybody talks about. But that's just one. That's just one business model. You know, crowdfunding is another Uh, Direct listener support is another. Um, I know people who fund their podcasts through grants. Like, they set up a nonprofit organization and they do grants. Other people do it through t-shirts, you know? And it's just, like, it's so interesting just to see how many different business models there are and to try to figure out, like, okay, what's a business model that can support the level of work that I want to do? Like, that's so interesting.
0: Yeah, you talk about how there really are no rules, and I keep... uh... And I'm sure the regular listeners are probably wondering what all the background noise is. And we originally tried to do this uh, outside where we're sitting directly underneath the speaker. So I think you'll still hear the music. So this is a test to see if if we're... breaking any rules with copyright infringement. But I guess we'll find out. And that's that's a, a nice problem to have that your show gets popular enough, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it, like, I mean, this is a great example. Like, in public radio, you would never, ever do an interview where there's music playing because you have to go back and edit. Every, you edit everything so much. Like, you can't have, like, the music sort of changing and the rhythm changing and the lyrics changing. And it just, yeah, we would never do an interview here in public radio.
0: So when, when we were walking over here, you mentioned... Um, That when you came up for the name for your show first time last time, you I guess found out after the fact there were a lot of podcasts that covered Uh, that same topic. I knew that
1: going in. Yeah, I knew that going in. I mean, doing a doing a podcast about first times is not like I'm sure that there are even like dozens more that I've never even heard of. It's not like a super original idea. I mean, the reason that I wanted to do it is because it's just a subject that I'm super interested in, and the way that I got interested in it was really through having kids. Because I have two, I have two kids, uh, seven and five. And as, as like, my, when my son was born, it just occurred to me that there are all these, like, first things that we're giving them, right? Like, the, like, you give all your kid these first experiences, like, your first taste of ice cream, the first time you go on a roller coaster. And then at the same time, it sort of, like, broke my heart a little bit to think of there are, all these, there are going to be all these last times, too, that he has with me, specifically with me as his dad, right? Like, the last time I read him a story. Like, when was the last time your dad read you a story? Like, there was, a, there was a last time, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you never know when it is.
0: Yeah. The, th- yeah, the funny thing about last times is you typically don't uh, think that that's going to be the last time that, that that event happens, right?
1: Right, right, right. And it's, some people do, right? Like, in the episode uh, featuring Joe Loya, the bank robber, like, he knew that it was, so he talked about the first time and the last time that he robbed a bank, and he knew that that last time was going to be his last time. He was going to leave, he was going to go to Mexico, uh, this is going to be the last bank he robbed didn't happen that way and I'll leave it up you know, go listen to the episode yes. <laughs> it's really good yeah please do really interesting to hear what happened um, other, so, so when I interview people uh, there, it generally goes one of two ways like, like they'll have a story that they want to tell right and so we'll, we'll get together and they'll tell me the first time and last time that they did a certain thing like Rob Banks other times uh, I just have a big long list and I just start asking people questions off that list. And I find that those interviews, you get some really like interesting, poignant moments because you do ask people questions that they hadn't thought of. When was the last time that I felt beautiful? Right? Which is another episode that I did with a writer named Francesca Lea Block, who's well-known in L.A. and uh, sort of among punk rock, punk rock sort of uh, alternative kids. She wrote a series of books uh, called The Wheat Bat Books. And I asked her that question, when was the last time you felt beautiful? And her answer was, it was when I was 13, you know, and she's in her 50s now. And it's just a really poignant conversation, you know. So so different things happen according to how I do the interviews, and it's always really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, that one specifically I was listening to today, and I thought what what was most poignant was, the, it's almost like the space in between her responses, because you could, it's almost like a palpable emotion in the room that's being generated when you realize that the question you asked is evoking some serious memories for her. And I think she even alluded to the fact that she was, you know, getting tearing up or getting emotional. And so I wonder if you could talk a bit about the importance of just letting those moments sit and not trying to you know, jump in and, and, and direct anything because I think there's some power in the silence.
1: Yeah, I th- I absolutely. Like, so I, I, do, uh, I do teaching too uh, and I teach people how to do better. One of the things I teach people, I teach people journalism and one of the things I teach them is how to do better interviews and they're generally like, like two, two of the most common mistakes in interviews. The first one is asking too many questions at once, like only ask one question at, at a time and then the second one is like if somebody's not talking, it's because they're thinking and don't interrupt them thinking because they haven't thought about what, they don't know what they're gonna say. And that's always like, that means that there's a genuine response coming, you know? And so, you know, even it can be uncomfortable as an interviewer, like just sitting there in silence, like kind of waiting for them to talk. Um, But you always get really, really great responses. But that that silence means that that they don't know what they're gonna say and, and it's gonna be great, usually, you know, usually. Um, but, you know, talking about the difference between podcasting and public radio, again, like in public radio, you could never have a space that long on the radio because in every single control room around the country, this is true for all radio, if there's silence for more than three or four seconds, a big red light starts flashing because <laughs> they think it's dead air. Like they think they've lost a the satellite signal or whatever. So you, you really can't do that. Um, and, and I think I agree with you that in that interview, like that long pause is really, really
0: essential. I think you get that a lot in podcasting because because of the intimacy of the earbuds. And so some of these conversations you feel like you're in the room. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, if, if it's recorded well with, you know, good microphones then you sense, you know, sometimes you even hear the breathing and and you really get this sense of feeling you you in some way you're you're connecting to the listener and I'm assuming as a as as the host and as the podcaster, you know, those are that's probably some of what you're going for, right? To yeah, have yeah, your sure. listener connect, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in my, in my, pod, in my podcast, for sure, like, like making stories that form empathetic connections between listeners and the stories, like that's one of the reasons I do journalism, right? That really is one of the reasons I do it, to increase the amount of empathy in the world. And so that's like another reason why I do my podcast is just because like in, in my life as a journalist, I do so much stuff that is about bad things happening or sad things happening or, like, investigative journalism about people doing, like, great injustices, you know, um, that this gives me an opportunity. Like, like, the stories aren't always, like, feel-good, happy stories, but they are always sort of leave you feeling, I think, at the end of them, more emotionally full than you were when you started, you know?
0: And I think what they do is give us... Insights into other people's worlds, and uh, a lot of times it allows us to connect in a way with people that could be across the country.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what I hope. So, I'm um, <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm
0: glad that that works for you. Yeah, because with Francesca, I, I had no idea who she was, but I found myself like looking her up, like on Google, like once the interview was done, like who is this person? Because I think you even read an excerpt from. One of her poems, or yeah, one of, the, of her
1: books at the end,
0: one of, of it. her books at the end of it, and I was like, "Well, you know, the, because I, I, you know, what it, it is, Ben. I think when someone uh, shows vulnerability, I think it it allows you to um, sort of bond with them in some sort of way because." At the end of the, the day, everything that we're used to listening to on TV and on radio and is, is sort of like in Facebook, like the polished image of people. Right. And people are so. That's a good point. You know, people are so weary of like, uh, you know, I don't want people to see like being the real, yeah, being yeah. vulnerable, the real side of me, and. uh And I think through some of the questions that you're asking, especially about first and last times, it makes people really think. And in some of those responses, you can hear the hesitancy. Is like, am I gonna? Am I really gonna tell Ben this this story? (laughs) So I'm wondering um, if you know through the course of uh, recording these episodes, if if there's or even maybe in, in journalism, if there's ever been a situation where there's some a palpable discomfort in the room because of like the path you're going down with your questions? Um,
1: One of my jobs as, like when I go and interview somebody, like my first job is to get you comfortable with me and comfortable with this weird thing that we're about to do, right? Like I have this giant microphone that looks like a club, right? It's like about 10 inches long and probably as big around as like, I don't know, like the leg of a stool, right? Um, And I'm going to stick it in your face, and I'm going to be wearing headphones. Like, it's a really weird kind of alien thing that's about to happen. And so getting you comfortable with that is, is the first thing that I have to do. The second thing that I have to do is get you comfortable with me, right? And so, like, everything about when you go and do an interview, like, everything about, like, w- from walking in the door or even before that, like, talking to the person on the phone and, like, getting, you know, even if you're just, like, getting directions to their house or whatever, like... Everything about th- those interactions are about me trying to get you comfortable with me, so that you can open up, right? Um, and so, like, you know, I, I learned a long time ago, like, there's this like stock question that I don't know if they do the, if podcasters learn this, but people in public radio certainly learn like this question that you ask people as you're getting a microphone level on them. You say, "What did you have for breakfast?" Right? You ask the people what they had for breakfast. I have no idea why we do that. Icebreaker, right? Yeah, well, kind of icebreaker, but it's like a really terrible icebreaker when you think about it, because, like, who eats a full breakfast these days? And if I ask you what you have breakfast, you would be like, bacon and eggs, full of cereal. Like, if the point is to get them talking, right? And so what I started doing about probably about 10 years ago is asking people, like, okay, uh, I just need to get a level on your voice. Can you tell me what's the very first thing that you remember? And so right away, they're, like, thinking about something different, you know, And then usually what I'll do is I'll offer up, like we'll start a conversation about first memories and I'll start talking about my first memories. And it, so what that does is it takes it away from being like an interview where I'm like firing questions at you and you're firing answers back at me and turns it into more of a conversation, right, where we're sharing with each other things about our lives and that is like it makes a huge huge difference it's like getting people to trust you getting people to open up like it can't be this like it's already this really weird experience like you have to be you have to essentially like create a trust between you and and the source you know
0: yeah and it's a a lot of the things that uh for lack of a better term podcasters are, are learning because they're not schooled in, like, you were in interview skills and radio, and so we're coming at it from a learn as we go by the of oh, I mean, that's
1: true for everybody, too. It's true yeah. for me, too. I've just been doing it for a really long time, you know. So I've been, I've been interviewing people for the radio for what it's 2016, so for 16 and 17 years, you know. Um, and it took me a long time to get good at it, too. It's definitely, I mean, the best way to do it is to do it to learn as you go, for sure.
0: And so what, what do you... What, what, is, what memories do you have of interview... Was there ever an interview where you felt like you were out of your league? Or just somewhere... Or interviewing someone... I felt like that, I
1: was out of my league. Or just
0: interviewing someone that... Um, someone you admired or, you know, that someone that, you know... By, by virtue of being in their presence, you felt nervous conducting the interview?
1: Oh, gosh. Um... The first time I interviewed Francesca, I felt really nervous because I was such a huge fan of her work. Okay. Um, and that was over 10 years ago. I, so in nine, in 2005 and 2006, I did a show for the local NPR uh, station here at KPCC. I did a show called Pacific Drift, which was an arts and culture show about L.A. And so I would just go around and kind of talk to cool people around L.A. about the cool things that they were doing. And so I interviewed Francesca. I was I was nervous talking with her the first time. I was nervous. Um, I interviewed Paul Schimmel, who was the curator at MoCA, and that was that was a little nerve wracking for me because he has such specialized knowledge about art, and I come to art really as a fan, um, and so I was like worried that he would just like school me. But he's like such a great guy and such a great interview that he just like he just meets people where they are and does a really great
0: job talking. Is there anything that you remember doing? Because I'm, I, I always want to you know, try to give some, some advice, if you will, for folks that are listening that are thinking of starting a podcast, but do you remember, and it's a while ago, so you may not, but if um, do you remember anything you might have been doing during that interview to feel less nervous in the moment? I mean, I always have to remind
1: myself, to like, like those two things, right? Like, only ask one question at a time. Because when you're nervous is when you start, like, it's you're uncomfortable, and when you're uncomfortable, that's when you start changing your questions as you're asking them. Right? So you might ask somebody, like... Um, like I'm trying to like if I think about Francesca, like asking her about one of her books, and I would say like, you know, this one character in your book. Did you really mean to to Did you really mean for that person to come off as unsympathetic? Because you know, when I when I read it, it seemed like like at first I liked him, but then I didn't like him. So like so like what, what was that character all about? you know and like the question that she's going to answer is what was that character all about she's not going to answer the first question you know that's a bad example but
0: yeah, you know it's funny I was laughing as you're saying that because I've heard podcasts where you know that exact thing happens like they feel like the need they don't feel confident in that first question so yeah. they just ramble on and be, by, by the time they're done there's like five questions in there. yeah yeah yeah
1: and what happens is every time that you do that like the question changes but it also becomes a weaker question yes right because what, what's actually happening like the mechanism that's happening is that you're uncomfortable it's an uncomfortable question and so you're trying to make it seem like it's not as bad a question as it actually is right in your own mind or whatever maybe it is or maybe it's just in your own mind but so you kind of rephrase the question and each time you make it a little bit more comfortable and a weaker question Question. And then people always answer the last question that you ask them. Yeah. Right? And a, the way that happens most is you go from like a, from like a what question or a how question to a yes, no question. Which, and is, then the wor- they which just, is the worst. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> they just say like, yes or no or whatever, you know, and you want to get at some like fundamental thing. But yeah, that's, that's like, I and mean, that happens when you're nervous. And so I have to remind myself not to do, not to do that. I have to remind myself like to talk slowly. Like when I'm nervous, I start talking more fast. So I have to remind myself to do that to breathe. <laughs> oh, very, very, very good,
0: very good, very good uh, suggestions for me as I conduct this interview. <laughs> uh,
1: I interviewed the um, I interviewed the Admiral of the Coast Guard one
0: time. That's interesting.
1: And that was pretty nervous. Like we were asking him some really tough questions. This was for an investigative report that I was working on, um, and we had to ask him some really tough questions. in there, it was like we were nervous going into it. Um, not because of who he was, but because of the information that we needed to get. And so we just had to kind of keep asking the questions the same way. And in the end, we did, it, we did a good job, but we had to like keep kind of going back to our notes and making sure that he answered the specific stuff that we needed him to answer.
0: So um, I'm wondering now that as you're getting into podcasting, because you've had so much time in radio where it's not necessarily the back of your hand, but you feel really comfortable in that space. Can you talk a bit about how it feels to be, uh, doing the podcasting where it's something that, you know, there's aspects of podcasting that are brand new. So do you feel like, you know, or some of those things you're, you're starting from ground zero or, or, or learning as you go? Uh, I don't,
1: I don't feel like I'm starting from ground zero, but I do feel like it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be, you know? Um, and it's, like, really that, that thing that I was saying before about the, the clock and the external structure, like, the clock sort of forcing a structure on you. Like, not having that is... It can be really... It can make it really, really hard, you know? Like, not knowing how long your story is supposed to be, not knowing how long um, how long your whole show should be, you know? That, that's been really, really hard for me. And I have been informed a little bit about, like, what the big like audio companies say about like proper podcast length you know like i talked to the head of business development at stitcher one time and he was like oh the the best length for a podcast is between 14 and 21 minutes like that's what people click on that's what people listen to you know and then i talked to a friend of mine who was working at soundcloud and he's like oh no 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 the best podcast length is like 21 to 29 minutes okay that's where you all your episodes should be that long you know, and then I talk to somebody, you know, somebody else, and they're like, oh, no, 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 12 minutes, to 12 to 15 minutes. Really, that's where podcast episodes should be. So I kind of, like, think all these, <laughs> have all this kind of in mind as I'm making my episodes. But most of my episodes end up being, like, you know, 13 or 14 minutes because, to me, that's how long the story is supposed to be.
0: Well, it's interesting because podcasters have a, a wide variety of uh, shows that, that are really popular that they're into. And one of the, one of the examples that's recently ci- that's frequently cited is Joe Rogan Experience, which is yeah, yeah. three hours. Yeah, which is three hours. I mean, that's
1: the thing, too. It's like everybody has these rules for podcasting. Like, you talk to people who are running organizations, and they have all these rules for podcasting. Like, they've figured it out. But then, like, you look at the charts, and it's like, well, This American Life is still number one at the charts at an hour, you know, or, or Joe Rogan Experience at four hours, or um, what's the, what, there's a... Um, Dan Carlin... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Hardcore yeah, yeah. history. Yeah. yeah, hardcore history. It's like hardcore history breaks all the rules. Like it comes out super randomly. The episodes are often like four hours long. And like as soon as he puts out an episode, it's like at the top of the charts for three weeks. <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. That's, I, I, you know what? When, when I, I, I'm helping people start podcasts as well. And the advice I give them is, I think, re, be really passionate about your topic. And I think you're, you're going to find your tribe or you're going to find your, your listeners and they're going to be attracted to you. And, and I think, you know, what I tell people is inject as much of your personality into your show. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because otherwise, you're just... There's so many, like, you know, there's so many shows that are coming out there and especially with the popularity of cereal and, you know, This American Life and the quality level is, is you know, raising constantly. So, you know, people are going to try to mimic that and just try to sound like the next thing that's popular. And I think that's the worst mistake that you can, that you can make because you're not you're not being different and you're not even if you have a smaller audience at least it's people that have came that have come to listen to you you know they're like i like Ben i i love the tone of his voice you know i love this, the the quirkiness of his stories and i love who he's connecting with and and you know that's i know i don't know what type of feedback you've gotten on your show but i mean that's i imagine part of the, the allure is that some there's some sort of screaming lady in the bar and there's <laughs> The joys of a recording in the, in the public space. Um, yeah, talk a little bit about that because you know you, you've been getting good downloads on your show. Well,
1: yeah, so that's um, that's been something that's actually been really hard for me. Uh, when I first when I first envisioned the show, like. Um If you think about the difference between like the story that's in the 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 first story I did, which is the interview with the bank robber, and in that there's like me introing it for like a second, and then there's me doing like outroing it, but everything else is just Joe talking, Joe Lawyer, this bank robber talking about robbing banks. That's it, and that's how when I first envisioned the show, that's how I imagined it would be. Very very little from me personally, Um, just the bare minimum that was needed. But then the the Last piece I did for the show was this big piece that I did that was, that was mostly me, it was mostly all of me talking, and it, was, it came out of this um, artist in residency program that I did here in Silver Lake. And so it was a big story just a, kind of about my history and about the history of Silver Lake, and it's about memory, and it's about sort of what gets preserved and what doesn't, and why. And it's a bit of a philosophical piece rooted in like real people's experiences here in, in Silver Lake. And so that piece was, like, super personal and, like, real... And, but that's not how I envisioned it, and it's something that I've kind of come to more, that I need to put myself into it more, and it needs to be... And it, and it should be more about me, and it's, it's an uncomfortable thing for me to do. Like, as a, as a producer, like, I really consider myself a producer. Like, it's usually about the other people's stories. You know, it's all about the other people's stories. So having it be about my stories is... Um, it's, yeah, well, it's it's uncomfortable, you know, talking about comfort and, and and uncomfortable. It's it's uncomfortable for me, but it's something that um, I value and that I'm working at. You
0: know, would you consider yourself a extrovert or an introvert?
1: It really varies. <laughs> I'm like one of those people who flips back and forth. You know, really, I flip back and forth on it. Sometimes I can be very extroverted, um, but mm, I don't even know if most of the time, but. Like, I'll have, my, I'll have my extroverted days and my introverted days, you know. But this is different. This is more like, it's not extroverted versus introverted. It's more like revealing versus not revealing or being personal versus not being personal. When I first started as a journalist, I did a lot of, like, confessional writing and confessional essays and stuff like that. And it really, like, did a lot of harm to me and to people around me in ways that I should have anticipated, but I was young and didn't. Um, and so I kind of like got away from that and didn't stop doing it, stopped writing about myself. And so to kind of come back at it in this way, it feels good, but it also is like hard.
0: Is there an aspect of that that reminds you of... Any pain you might have caused when you were writing those confessional essays? me, right? Is there an, an aspect of what you're doing now and being a bit more revealing that sort of harkens back to when you were being exposing yourself with those? Con- no, only in the sense
1: that I'm a little gun shy about it, you know. But it doesn't. It feels it's very different. Like I'm not writing about like my family, excuse me, my family or my friends or anything like that. Like I'm not doing that. Um, but I am a bit like reticent.
0: It, was there any specific uh, incident that happened when you were writing those essays that, that sort of uh, I mean,
1: them? I mean, it was just, like, stupid stuff. Like, I'd write about my parents and my attitudes about my parents. And then, like, I, you know, I was writing in a newspaper, like, an Alt Weekly. I was writing for the LA Weekly out here in LA. But, like, unbeknownst to me, my dad had subscribed to the paper because he knew I was writing for them. And so he read this thing. And he got, like, super pissed. And, like, we didn't talk for a year. You know and that's not the only one,
0: <laughs> but did you feel at the time that it was liberating in some way when yeah did? yeah for
1: sure, for sure, yeah, and it was like it was cathartic for me to put things like things down in writing, but I shouldn't have published them in the newspaper. I should have just written them in a journal or something, but they were valuable like they were. Conf- i mean uh, there's a whole genre of confessional journalism that people do, and some people are very, very good at it um, and like they are able to do it in a way that manages all the relationships around them I just wasn't able to do that
0: I imagine that there's now an aspect of confessional podcasting where people just get on and they <laughs> and
1: oh, I mean the culture the culture has totally changed like reality TV is like like more personal more so like more revelatory and more soul crushing than like any confessional journalism that's out there like the culture's and you know people are sharing all the time on Facebook like mostly like, hey, my life is awesome stuff, but also like, you know, we all have those people that, people in our feed who are just like talking shit about their friends all the time and, oh, I went to the club and, you know, this person was a total dick, fuck you, motherfucker, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, we all have those people <laughs> in our feed, so the culture's totally shifted on that stuff.
0: I have been making judicious use of the uh, the hide in, in Facebook. Oh, did. yeah, <laughs> no, no, I
1: mean, especially during an election season that is crucial. <laughs>
0: people, uh, I, yeah, I think people are just so eager to express their opinions yeah. without understanding that the majority of people don't want to hear. Yeah,
1: yeah, but in the like in the 90s, it was like we didn't have any of that stuff. We barely had email. You know, we barely had the World Wide Web, and so people read the newspaper, and so that's where you would get that stuff. And it was like highly edited and very good. Like I would get lots of really awesome comments about it, and it was, I think, in a lot of ways sort of that empathetic kind of like proto the kind of journalism that I'm doing now like forming empathetic connections but the vulnerability was coming from me directly rather than from people I'm interviewing or uh, you know coming from my own experience so it was like it was good stuff to put out I just would do it with disregard for how other for how people may be negatively affected by it you know and it's it's something that like when I do interview somebody and they are sharing with me like there's the the same concern is there, right? Like, like, they shared something really vulnerable with me like, do they understand that you know, thousands and thousands of people are going to hear this? Do they get that this could be broadcast on radio and millions of people could hear this, right? And so you do have you know, you are in a way like a custodian of the trust that's been placed in you by an interview subject and so on the one hand, like they chose to share that with you, and since they made that like they made that decision, so you know, knowing all, knowing where it's going to end up, knowing that it's for broadcast, right, or for posting, so y- you you can you can do it, but there is a responsibility that I feel towards people, you know, especially as they're being vulnerable. Like I just need to be sure that they're okay with it, and I have gone back and like checked with people just to make sure, you know, or played things for people to. Make sure that they're okay with it, you know. In some
0: cases. Yeah, I was going to ask if you give them uh, right of first refusal.
1: Um. So nobody's ever said nobody's ever said, wow, no thanks. Nobody's ever done that before. So I've never been faced with that question. If I was like, would the first thing I'd do is try to convince them that it's actually really good the way that it came out? Mo- you know, most everybody has been. It's fine. I would say the vast majority of people are like, wow, that's really beautiful, or wow, that's really great. You made me sound awesome. You know, this is going to be a great show.
0: So knowing this new area that we live in where everyone's being more vulnerable and it's hard to, for people to have secrets and, you know, people who are exposing their personal lives...
1: Well, I mean, I, I disagree with you there. I mean, I think, like, like social media gives us a, this veneer that that's what's happening... But that's not what's actually happening. You know what I mean? Like, at the beginning of the conversation, we talked about that, like, this empathetic journalism. I think, you know, and I'm not the only person to do it. There are a few people who are doing it way more successfully than me. Like, I think of uh, Brendan Stanton uh, with Humans of New York, right? Like, here's this guy who, like, has made, like, he does this feed on, I follow him on Instagram. That's where I get most of his stuff. And it's just like... I mean, StoryCorps is another example, right, Um, on NPR, of just like vulnerability and empathy kind of distilled to its most core essence, right? And I think that that does resonate with people because of the veneer of social media where people, it feels like people are sharing with you and it feels like there's a lot of honesty happening, Mm. but it's not actually. Mm. And we all know that, but we don't talk about it.
0: I'm wondering how you thought, or if that's colored... Um, how you think about raising your kids in this environment
1: I mean I honestly I have no idea like, like I'm not there yet with my kids and like this Peggy Orenstein just came out with a book about girls and sex and how like pornography is just like changing girls relationships to men and relationships to themselves and I know that that's coming but I know it's still like five years off maybe fingers crossed it's five years off for me um, and I'm just like... I mean, for me, with my kids, like I, I just try to... Right now, the, the, the phase that we're in, like I'm just trying to raise them with really some really strong core values about who they are and what's important to us as a family, what's important to them. So hopefully, it's like a strong enough base to weather social media when they get there.
0: Yeah, I think about myself growing up. I, I never smoked. And I had friends that smoked. And I, I think it was part of... I, I have to give some of the credit to my parents to just... Mean some sort of influence that says you know that's something you should be doing or you know it's I definitely had options to, to do it and accessibility to it so I think there is some aspect to having a strong family unit in place to kind of you know gird you against what's going to happen when they're outside of your house because I, I mean you, we both know what happens in, in high school and it's like we only told our parents probably
1: yeah, yeah <laughs> I mean adolescence is like you shake the ass you, you draw this beautiful person of what your kid's supposed to be until they reach adolescence you just shake it up and hope it turns out for the best you know
0: <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm wondering uh, for, the, for the people that um, have have known you for a while or, or, or even just for people that are, are You've met and you've be- become new acquaintance with. If you could describe, maybe, what's the most misunderstood thing about you?
1: The most misunderstood thing about me?
0: Uh.
1: Hmm. I think. Um, well, I think for people who don't live in California or who don't live in LA, they think it's like super easy going out here, and that people don't work very hard. I think that that's true for me. Like, I, like I'll have calls with people back east all the time, and they'll, and you know I work in my I work at, my, at home. I have this like studio in back of my house, and you can often hear the birds chirping, you know. And it's always a really nice day. And they're like, "Oh, enjoying another like California workday, huh?" And I'm like, "Actually, I've been you know here since eight, and I won't be I'll be in my desk till 10. Um I don't know if that's the most misunderstood thing about me, but I think it's a misunderstood thing about me. Um, The other thing, I mean, that 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 happens with work too. Like, I feel like like a flaw that I have is not not letting people understand like how hard things can be. Like, what usually because I work as a consultant a lot, and so like my job is really just to present people with finished products, and they don't see all the hard, all the like the sweat that goes into it, you know, and like as a consultant, it's not your job to show them the sweat, it's your job to like give them something that they
0: really like. Yeah, it's almost like you have to, sh- you have to show them a little bit of like uh, how the sausage is made so they come to appreciate yeah, all yeah, the work yeah, you yeah. put and into I'm it.
1: Not, I'm not like, I'm not that, I'm not good at that yet. And so then people are like, well, why did we pay you money to do this? If it just took you, it took you a week and it's like, yeah, but I was up every, like I was <laughs> working 24 hours, you know, I don't know.
0: Um, what's uh, what's something you've changed your mind about recently?
1: Um, well, I mean, talking about the podcast, like that idea that I should put myself in it more, and that I should make it more about like personal writing, and and that's that was a really big decision for me, um, and it's something that like I talk to a lot of people about. Before, like you had Leah Tao on the show, yeah. um, and she's a friend, and we talk about sort of audio and producing stuff a lot, and she was really an advocate for that. I mean, that's what her—that's sh- what she does on her show. She puts herself in it so well, um, so she was really advocating for that, and so I've, I've come around on that. That's like the biggest decision. Um, yeah, I think that's like the biggest thing that I've changed my mind about.
0: How's that? How's that going to color? And whatever it is you're doing, or having, or what you have planned for the future of your show, Um, it's making the
1: stories much more like stories rather than interviews. You know, like I'm working on a story right now. It's been incredibly difficult. It's about a woman with a condition called hyperthymesia, which is she has a um, she has a perfect autobiographical memory. So anything that's happened to her, anything that's happened to her, she remembers. You can like give her a date. You can say like, okay, July eighth, nineteen eighty four, and she'll tell you exactly what she was doing on that day.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's like a handful of people in the yeah, in yeah, the yeah. Country that a handful
1: of people yeah. in the world who have this condition, and she's one of them. And so we did a we recorded an interview together, and it's just been it's been really, really hard to do it. And I was trying to do it under like this old model of like having it mostly be her talking, mostly the interview, and it just wasn't working. It wasn't working. And so now I sort of have I spent about a month just kind of thinking about it and figuring out like what this story is about. And so now I think I'm ready to like go and write it and have it be a story that's not about her at all, but it's a story kind of about, about memory and identity and like how do we know how do we know who we are and how do we know like like what makes us who we are? Is it, in fact this like flow of of moments from the moment we're born until this present moment? Is that that flow of moments and all the things that have happened to it, is that what makes us who we are? Because here's a woman who has perfect recall of every single one of those moments. Right? Or is it something different? And I think what I'm coming to is that it's not actually remembering that makes you... Well, remembering is one part of of who you are, but another big part of who you are is forgetting. And what you forget. And she can't forget. And it's had disastrous implications on her life or disastrous effects on her life.
0: You mentioned something that's really interesting. You said you, you spent about a month thinking about how you're going to restructure this story. What is it about you, know, you or your personality or you're just your training in radio that makes you yeah. devote or invest that much time into making sure that you're going to present this story in the best way possible it's um it's
1: a good question um for some reason this feels like a really important story and i can't i couldn't i can't figure out why i couldn't figure out why and like i've done a ton of interviews for first time last time that i haven't aired um, for whatever reason. Like, they just didn't resonate or they didn't, like... They didn't have that, like, special something. But this one, it really, like... It seems really important. Like, this woman's story seems really, really important to me. And so I've been really struggling with it, you know? And, like, you asked me when we were walking over here, like, is your podcast on hiatus? And the answer is, like, no. I just... It's, I've been working on the story, and it's really, really hard. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's... um it just seems, it seems like an important story, this one, and I want to get it right, you know?
0: Are there implications if you get it wrong?
1: I mean, nothing that anybody else would say, like, just the way that I would feel about it. You know, I don't want, and I don't want to put out any story that I don't feel 100% about. Like, all, every story that's in my podcast, I, like, love, I love. Like, when I finish it, I listen to it, like, constantly for a week. You know, because I love it so much. Like I fall in love with my stories. Um, and I go back and I listen to them all the time. And I still I'm still in love with all of them. And I don't want to ever put out a story that I'm not in love with. You know, if I was in love with if I like I haven't done this yet, but there are like if I heard something and I wanted to change it, like even after I'd upload it I'd go and replace the file. You know, because I wanna make sure that it's for me anyway perfect. You know, it's been it's been interesting now because, like, uh, like, other shows are coming to me and saying, like, oh, we want to play your story on our show. Do you want to do that? And of course I do. Like, I mean, I welcome, like, I'm grateful for all the opportunities, and it's awesome. But then they're like, oh, but we want to edit it. You know, we think it needs a little something. You know and it's been hard it's been really hard like editing the stories because to me like they're they're like I put them out the way that I put them out because I love the way that they sound and like now we have to go back and edit them and I'm like uh, I don't know, and it's been really hard it's been hard to go back and edit the stories and are, they, make them are, sound.
0: They, are they allowing you to do the editing or are they yeah open? well i mean
1: they're they're like serving as an editor, so they're like making suggestions that they want, and like we have a conversation about it and um It's been unexpectedly difficult. Why? Well, just because it's like they feel like it's like in some cases, like they just want to do a short excerpt, you know. And I'm almost more okay with that, like just take a short excerpt and play it. Um, In other cases, they're like, "Oh no, we want to change it around and restructure it," and I'm like, "I don't, I don't know," like I like. On the one hand, this is an awesome opportunity. Thank you. On the other hand, like, I love my story. Yeah. You know? So it's been hard. I
0: imagine there's some aspect of it, you know, where it's almost like these are your, your, you know, not your actual children, but, you know, they're they're, they're part of you because you've, you've invested so much time in putting yeah, this story together. Yeah, I mean, it's together. weird. Like, I don't know
1: exactly how to say it because, like, there are other people talking, <laughs> you know, but I've invested a lot of my time in it. Um, I'm definitely in love with them. Like, that's the way I think about them. Like, I'm in love with all of these stories, like, very much... You know
0: do you, uh, do you consider yourself an emotional person?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe that's something that like I'm, like people don't think that I'm an emotional person, but I think actually I'm a very, very emotional person. I think that's probably like the biggest like misconception about me now that I think about it
0: Is it, is it because you you put up a, a, a front that doesn't show that aspect of yourself?
1: No, I think that like I'm like everybody, you know. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest too, so I have like this kind of like cynical sense of humor, like kind of like cutting and biting. Um, maybe there's like a bit of a like a emotional distance, like a detachment that I have just in everyday life, but I think actually. Like, actually, like, I feel things, like, super deeply, you know? Like, there's a reason why I, like, go and, like, talk to people and have these, like, really intimate conversations, and I love that. I love having those conversations with people.
0: So what's, what's, what's your memory of, of, of using an analogy from... or using an example from your, from your own show? What's, what's your earliest recollection of having your heart broken? Um...
1: I can't remember her name. It was definitely when I was like in 7th or 8th grade and it was this girl that like I had a little summer camp romance with and when we got back to town, she was like, "Yeah, no, that was a summer camp romance." And I was like, "Oh, my heart was broken." <laughs> I remember what she looks like, but I can't remember her name.
0: I think it's funny. The first, it's funny the first time. It's like they sit with you forever. Oh I can, yeah, I can absolutely. Definitely, definitely absolutely. Relate to that.
1: No, no. It's um. Yeah, it's super interesting. And like, like I said, for me, like the genesis of it is with my kids, and just like seeing all the firsts that they have, and like all these lasts that that they're gonna have too. And me, like you know, I'm in middle age now, and so I'm like looking at the. Like I'm, like, I'm 44, so I'm probably past the midpoint of my life recently. And if not, I'm going to be soon. And so there are all these last times that I have to think about, too. Like, when I did the story about Silver Lake that's in my podcast feed called At Home, like I was thinking a lot about that. Like, walking or, like, I used to walk around the Silver Lake Reservoir, like, three times a week. You know, and I haven't done it for probably at least five years probably at least five years since I walked around the Silver Lake Reservoir. So will I ever do that again? You know? And, like, this is... Like, this is... Our lives as people who get old and die. Like, we're all all gonna have these last times. You know, like, my wife right now is out of town. She's on a trip with her dad. They're going to Israel. Because he's never been to Israel before. He's Jewish, and he's never been to Israel before. And the reason they're going now is because he's getting really old and like his health is starting to fail. And so this is kind of the last chance that they have for him to travel. And like, you know, he's in his seventies, I'm in my forties. So obviously a huge difference there, but I have been thinking about that especially like being in like I'm in my mid 40s now I'm not like I can't fake it like I'm not in my early 40s like I'm in my I'm in my mid 40s now <laughs> and so like I think about that a lot you know like is this gonna be the last time and then you get in this like mind fuck, right because you're like no it's not I'm gonna go do it I'm gonna go do it right now <laughs> I'm going to go walk around the reservoir right now, you know? And it's like, um, it doesn't really, I mean, it counts, but it doesn't really count. I think nobody <laughs> wants
0: to really think about this being the last time they'll ever do any specific thing. And what happens is they feel like, oh, there'll always be a next time. And so there's there's some, right. some sort of message there that's, you know, it's about living life to the fullest, right? Like yeah, yeah, taking yeah. advantage of every single moment and opportunity that you have and being present and squeezing every bit of energy out of every interaction yeah, that yeah, you have yeah, with yeah. your fellow human being, because, you know, we've heard stories of, you know, 19 year olds being hit by a car or, you know, just, sure, you sure, know, yeah. and you just never know. <laughs> I think it sounds cliche, but you never know when the last moment on your, on earth will be. So, Sure. Well, obviously, the world would be but, a much I better mean, you place. You can't live like that. You yeah. can't
1: live like, oh, I better savor this moment. You know, you're going to be, I mean, I don't know what kind of person you would be if you were like, oh, I got to get the most out of this this conversation that we're having. If it's not the best, like, this has to be the best convert, this beer that I'm drinking. Yeah. Like, if it's not the best beer, I'm sending it back. You know? This interview
0: has got to be the best, <laughs> best interview. <laughs> I mean, obviously
1: it is. I mean, you're hosting it, so. And you're, and you're the guest, so,
0: yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. But I think about those things. I mean, right now it's still like, I think about it more in terms of my kids, you know, like, like, and more in like those sad sort of like relationship ways that I mentioned before, like the last time my son kisses me on the lips, you know, or the last time, um, last time I read them a story, you know, or the last time, I don't know what I think about that a lot.
0: Well, I mean, I would say that there's a lot of, parents who don't think about that and they just take those moments for granted so at the very least you are you know you have that in the back of your mind so oh yeah I mean I it's not
1: hopefully it's not like annoying to him like I, my dad like I think about the kissing my son on the lips thing because like my, I think my brother overheard my dad talking to somebody one time about how he still kisses us on the lips and this is like 10 years ago and it was like so obviously not like I can't remember the last time I kissed my dad on the lips <laughs> nor would I want to it was a little creepy honestly <laughs> I hope, if you're listening, Dad, sorry, it was a little <laughs> creepy, though.
0: <laughs> I don't think he minds at all. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I think we're good for this for this round. I think okay. uh, I've uh, it's I been awesome talking with you. Yeah, I appreciate you being open. I mean, a lot of times, I never know where these conversations are going to go, but there's some there's obviously some something intimate about being here face to face. And having these sorts of conversations that you can sort of connect Oh Yeah, them. I
1: mean, to me, that's really crucial. Like, yeah. I always do all my interviews. Well, whenever I can, I do my interviews face-to-face. And um, like even traveling across the country, if I can. Especially for this project. Like, it feels, like, really, really important to me to do them face-to-face. I went across the country to interview somebody. And it was really, um, I really wanted to interview her. But, like, the day but the I like got to New York and I did some meetings in New York and I was going to fly to Maine to interview her, and um, she emailed me the night before I was supposed to go up there. And, like somebody in her family had passed away, and so it was like <laughs> this big bummer because I'd gone all the way across the country. But it was like oh sad. So I haven't I haven't interviewed her, and like the story's kind of on hold until I can get back east again.
0: Uh, t- talk a little bit about the uh, the residency. Yeah, um...
1: Oh yeah, sure. No, it was great. It was. Um... Uh, right up the street here uh, uh, is an artist residency called Tandem, which stands for the Tim and Nada Disney Experimental Media uh, Artist Residency. And so uh, Tim and Nada Disney are um, Tim is the grand, one of the grandkids of Roy Disney. And they're a husband and wife, and they just love art. Like Tim is also the uh, chair of the board at CalArts and um, they're just huge art fans and so they want to support artists doing their work and Nada is a huge radio fan so uh, they had me inaugurate the residency for them and it was really just like a great opportunity to like have a place to go like I built a recording booth in the storefront and recruited people from the neighborhood to come in and share stories in the recording booth. We wrote a little iPad app so it was kind of automated and um, I just I kind of went all around the neighborhood like interviewing people And what happened was sort of like this idea of, like, home and about, like, how do you, like, like when does L.A. become your home if you've moved here? When does Silver Lake become your home? How do you decide what home is? Um, All these ideas about kind of, like, home started coming up in all the interviews. And maybe it was me kind of, like, because that's what I was thinking about. But I don't think I, I mean, it just kind of naturally, it seemed to me like it just kind of was naturally happening. There are a lot of interviews I did where it didn't come up. But then I constructed this story, and it's actually nine, it was nine different stories. So there were eight interviews with people that were kind of, like, extended. And then there was one kind of uh, piece where I synthesized all the interviews together into this piece that was about me and about Silver Lake. But really, I think about, like, these ideas of, like, home and about memory and place and, like, 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 does it matter that your first apartment got demolished you know that's something that came up like I drive by one of my old apartments just randomly one day I was driving by it on a shortcut around traffic and I noticed that it had been demolished like is that a sad thing maybe but maybe not you know progress Um, but yeah it ended up being a really personal piece and it was it happened at a time in my life where um, I was I had been recruited for this job up in San Francisco and me and my wife really like couldn't decide. We couldn't decide. Like I ended up taking the job, and then we were going to move up there, but then we ended up deciding that we didn't want to do that. So it was like this moment where, like, we we felt a little like torn apart by this kind of like, do we leave LA? Do we move to San Francisco? Um, so it was just a, it was a thing that we were thinking of, that was on my mind, and we were thinking about a lot. And um, yeah, it was interesting. Anyway, but so they're doing an artist residency and they're, I don't know when they're going to do another, um, when they're actually going to have somebody else in the space, but, um, it's a really cool, uh, it was a great opportunity to just like focus on something and work on something for like three, for three months, basically just to work on a story, which is a huge luxury.
0: Yeah. I've heard you mention it a couple times in the podcast. So I just wanted to ask about yeah, that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. And that piece, um, it's a long piece, and it's like the one that I mentioned that's like the most personal of all the pieces that I've done. But it, like I said, it got me thinking differently about how I should do my shows. So
0: so we can expect uh, new and exciting things for yeah, the yeah, time Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Time.
1: So I'm going to do this episode about this woman who can't forget, and then I'm going to, I'm trying to put together a little season for like like June, I think I am going to try to launch it. Um, And I have a bunch of people, like I want to do something about gun violence, so talking to somebody who's been shot or somebody who's shot people, what that's like, Um, trying to get like some politicians to talk about running for office since it's a presidential season. Um, But then also like somebody, like the woman in Maine that I was going to interview is a woman who's schizophrenic, but has sort of like a recovered schizophrenic. They have this new uh, protocol for treating schizophrenia that's extremely effective. So I wanted to talk with her. I'm going to find somebody else who's gone through the treatment program here in Southern California, but um, what it's like to hear voices and then not hear voices. Um, So first and last time I heard voices Uh, and a lot
0: of other things too. I don't think that one was on your original list of a hundred.
1: No, that's not, that's not one that I typically ask people, but the funniest one that I ever asked somebody that I got the funniest answer to is like, tell me about the first time you smoked crack. And it was like this lady who is like super straight laced, like really, like you would expect it to be like, I've never smoked crack. Right. But she was like, actually the first time I smoked crack, it was kind of by accident.
0: (laughs) That's funny. It was really funny. That's a, so, um, what's the best place for folks to track you down online? right. So the podcast, uh, the website is firstlasttime.com.
1: You can search first time last time on iTunes. um, Pops right up. Um, And then Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. First, it's the number one first last time.
0: Okay. And is that story of the woman smoking crack on first time last time? It's not there yet. (laughs) It's not there yet. So stay tuned, (laughs) folks, if you want to hear that. That one sounds like it's going to be really funny thanks again ben uh, right, thank you so much harry really right. awesome take care so thank you to ben adair for being such a good sport and uh dealing with my live setup issues i was we were we originally went outside we went outside to the bar that had um there was a counter outside the bar restaurant actually and the music was blasting like loud and i was like he asked if we were going to have copyright issues because of the music, and I was like, no, it shouldn't be an, it shouldn't be an issue. I actually asked them to turn it down. They didn't turn it down. Oh, well, they couldn't turn it down, so we went inside. It was actually lower inside, and the result is what you've heard on the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you uh, appreciated um, what, what I covered with Ben. I, I think he's just really accommodating, and I'm glad I got to know him a little bit more. I'm really excited about what he's doing with the podcasting community here in my neighborhood. And we're actually going to go to a meetup uh, next week. By the time this comes out, we may be uh, en route there where we're going to have um, the um, one of the guys from Audible there as a, as a guest. Uh, so when cool stuff like that happens, I'm really excited about uh, being a podcaster. I'm, re- I'm really happy to engage with different communities in podcasting so there's the whole entrepreneurial podcast there's comedy podcasts and then there's the storytelling slash npr style podcasts uh i think they're all fascinating i think um the common thread for me is that the all podcast and that's good enough for me to have a conversation with and to introduce you to them um and it just continues to be a wide range of folks that i speak to and I'm, i'm really happy and honored that i have the ability to do that So this week we are sponsored by Fancy Hands. Fancy Hands is an online concierge service. If um, you don't know what Fancy Hands is, I've been using the service for about three years now. And the way it works is you send in a request either through the website or through a a mobile app that they have. And they'll do any task that usually takes them about 20 minutes to do. I've literally had them do everything from Remove me from uh, catalogs I didn't want to receive mail to my house to staying on the phone for Verizon for about an hour until they finally had uh, an operator I could speak to then patching me in. Finding a veterinarian in my neighborhood that was open on the weekends. Just things that require either a phone call or an email or just... um, some grunt work by staying on the on the phone they can do a wide range of things and i've tested them with with a a lot and i'm really happy with them with the with the turnaround and the stuff they've been accommodating with anything you need scheduled for your calendar actually is actually a free task so just think of any anything that you don't want to do or you don't have the time to do like Uh, healthcare appointments beauty appointments doctors dentist appointments um, scheduling calls to restaurants for reservations car maintenance all things like that Uh, they've done some very basic research for me they've done they've filled out like uh, data entry for me it's just amazing Um, and I think Uh, Actually, I know that they can also make purchases on your behalf up to $200. So this is a really long uh, promo for Fancy Hands. I can't say enough things about them. If you want to receive a code for five free tasks, then all you need to do is leave a review in iTunes and uh, put a hashtag of Fancy Hands. And I'll pick one new listener every month to receive five free tasks. So you can try it out for yourself and say, damn, Harry, that was awesome. So, this week, uh, the, and every week, the music is by Cedar and Soil. Uh, check them out at cedarsoil.com. We are a proud member of PodCastica, in case you were wondering what that weird intro is at the beginning of every show. That's something we put together that unites us as a collective And uh, we have a fantastic group of podcasts there. So head on over to podcastica.com to check that out because I think you will enjoy it. So um, also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, this one at uh, podcastjunkies.com slash iTunes. If you have not left a review for this show, then I would really appreciate it if you stopped the podcast now and went and did that because uh, I'm always looking to build up awareness of the show. And as a regular listener... Um, anything you can do to support the show that you like listening to week in and week out is highly appreciated. So please do that. And if you are a loyal listener, then you are anxiously awaiting the retention hashtag, which for this week will be first last Ben in honor of uh, Ben's podcast. First time last time it's hashtag first last Ben, all one word. And uh, Ben is on Twitter at Ben Adair, B-N-A-D-A-I-R. And I'm at podcast underscore junkies. Let us know you made it this far. We really appreciate your support. I love you. I can't wait to speak to you next week when I have some interesting other guests lined up. I'm not sure who's going to be in the hopper. Uh, I've got a couple uh, in motion, so I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. So that's it. Uh, If you haven't engaged with me or the show, then do that on Twitter. Do that on Facebook and uh, do that on Instagram and do that on Google Plus or do that by email or do that by SpeakPipe or send me a letter with a a stamp and I will respond to you. If you send me a letter in the mail, then I will mail you back a t-shirt. I think that's it, guys. Good night.